today's guest is Eugene Braxton. This is a continuation from yesterday's podcast. And for those of you that didn't see it, you may want to go back to yesterday's podcast and the link will be in the description below. And if not, then I'll just try to catch you up. And so what had happened is Eugene died due to drowning from jumping in a lake and getting stuck on the bottom. And then afterwards, he went to the black void and then he went to, I would say, the astral realm. And then from there, he went to maybe the second heaven. I don't remember exactly what you called that, but the the next level where he was in with light and he saw an orange light a red light, and then he finally made it to the white light. Does that summarize it pretty good, Eugene? If not, you can kind of add a little bit, and then let's continue from where we were yesterday. Yeah, it does, Jeff. You remembered it well. Um, so, yeah, uh, I get out of the red light, which was God's judgment, easy judgment, that really, as long as you believe, you're automatically in. Anything else can be worked out. If I leave the red light, Um, And it's really nice talking about these stages because these are the stages where the people receive the ecstasy, the nirvana, the bliss. Uh, But so, okay, leave the red light. And um, there's an elevation in my body and in my consciousness at the same time. So, uh, and I'm slowly going up. And um, as I'm going up, I was able to look back for four or five seconds and see the literal physical ground of where I, I had just drowned. Um, at this point, this, my spirit body was uh, dematerializing and it was um, still invisible, but uh, filled with like the teeming mist, you know, that you get out of a seven up or ginger ale. It was in that teeming essence. It wasn't solid. Um, so it's partially solid, partially teeming, and leaving this solidification and going into the finer, higher aspects of that spirit body uh, change. Um, so as I'm going up, I get a quick conscious glimpse of the ground below me where I was, the beach. I could see the birds flying around, the trees, the wind. I could feel the wind against my body. Uh, at the same time, uh, there was an elevation of consciousness. Uh, the higher up I went, and this was just a white fog, the higher up I went, uh, the more the uh, consciousness expanded. Also, uh, to, at the same time, the physiology of the spirit body changed, going from solid to a, a, a less solid, uh, a teeming type of essence. Um, now, the white light wasn't God, but it was like the, the light of God, the aura or the shadow of God. And it was uh, the, the it was his uh, entrance, you could say. But uh, also, and uh, so I was into the fog, still disintegrating in spirit form, and then uh, having that elevation of consciousness. And this is where... In this white light, which had the most powerful effects, this is where the people have that uh, universal, not just world, but universal consciousness, where you're mixed and merged with everything uh, that is, or especially anything that you focus on. Um, <clears throat> and when 
intense focus, especially after years of meditation, produces a merging into things where one becomes one with the object object of focus. Um, and in that dimension, that kind of merging happens naturally. You automatically know something or it can merge into a person's essence. So uh, the white lights, uh, and just like the red and orange, the white lights uh, was an even uh, higher uh, purification. Uh, the lights themselves had an effect, not just the color, but the rays too. And they were like electromagnetic rays. Uh, uh, on the way up, I could literally see radio waves, then gamma rays, and these were electromagnetic. And uh, back then, I, and I was only 14 when it happened, but I knew that they were uh, waves of some type. And these uh, waves that came out of the white light uh, purified, elevated, and illuminated the person. So instead of just uh, uh, cleaning them physically, this, clean, this was cosmically cleaning them, refining them to the highest essence, where... Uh, because it was after this white light stage that you would meet God and merge in with his essence, like a marriage of God and a unity with that, uh, that, that true fountainhead. It's also true that the love that you receive during a near death is the kind of love that human beings seek here on earth, but can really only be found uh, with God, that divine love. And that's what we look for down here. Uh, we look, we look for a divine love because we actually deserve it. And going through these lights, the person, the feelings are ecstatic. Now, they weren't as ecstatic as the uh, red and white spheres. Uh, the emotions weren't as uh, turbulent. These were more refined emotions where it's mainly thought and uh thinking and intelligence and creativity, all the higher aspects that are away from the physical aspects. Um, so you're the body, as you, as I went higher and higher, uh, the body became more refined and started speeding up faster. The atoms in it uh, that were contained inside the spirit body. So they stay in, they stayed in one place. I was still went from solid to teeming. And then I would go even higher where there was no real body, just a consciousness. Like you've heard of people speak about a pinpoint of consciousness, or they feel like they're up at the corner of the room, no body, nothing, just mind. And so it, then it got to that point. That's where the universal mind is. But in this white light stage, you, you're consciously aware. That, that is, you have, you have your own personality, and you retain your own personality uh, during the near death. You don't become someone else. You are yourself when you wake up, but uh, has a purifying, elevating effect. And these, the white, it's the white lights that are responsible for the changes, the permanent changes that occur in a person uh, after they come back to earth. And they're very strong. And so, um, okay, into the fog, the body's changing, then into the white lights. It's a stronger pur purification, it's a stronger elevation. Uh, to the highest level. And uh, like I say, you have the expansion of consciousness, the 360-degree spherical consciousness, which uh, allows you to see anywhere in space and time, or right behind you. 
and um, it's it's a, a, again a showering to prepare you for that ultimate meaning. So that red sun for, was the forgiveness and allowing me to get to that next higher heavenly level, and then the white lights of further celestial cleaning, and then uh, it's time for the merging and, and melding with God. And the white lights had the same uh, effects as the red and orange, where they uh, undulated through you and, and penetrated through you like an x-ray or like the sunlight. It was that type of light. And also there was information in the light. And physicists know now that uh, knowledge is contained in light particles. And so that's where a lot of this, the advanced knowledge, the future knowledge that you will have uh, comes in. And you know it automatically right then. And you will later when you fully, uh, and I don't like to say download because it sounds too mechanical, like a machine, download. It's really a spiritual revelation. And it's natural and it's uh, complete and it's, it's true. So um, in that white light stage, that's where the person receives that advanced knowledge, advanced information. And, and heightened uh, purification. Uh, and uh, the people ask, well, when will I know the esoteric knowledge? And uh, it said that uh, the student will know it when he uh, has sp- spiritual perception. And, and spiritual perception is attained by purification. And... Uh, this white light was the height of purification. So it, it had an effect, the, the light itself, and then the rays too. They were both life-changing. So I go through the white lights. I'm fully cleansed on a celestial level and a cellular level. And I wake up, Jeff, uh, on a circular platform. I'm sitting on it, and uh, the platform is in like a, a semi-circular or circular room. And uh, as I I regained consciousness, I noticed uh, a few beings in like the fog of sight, in the mist, in the background, moving about. As soon as I noticed them, uh, my attention was diverted to a figure that was right in front of me in what would be the same ring that I was in. Um. As soon as I notice the figure, and in that realm, you can notice something and then merge into it to see if it's real, not an illusion, or what its essence uh, identity is. You can ascertain its nature, its identity, its essence. Uh, you can, and that's just, just like we would see someone in that world, you can quickly merge right into them. And they, you can feel it, too, when someone's doing it. Um, so I'm in front of this figure, and I initially I I noticed figures in the background, but as soon as I noticed them, uh, my attention was switched to this figure right in front of me, whom we would call God. As soon as I noticed this figure, uh, uh, the platform began to swirl from right <laughs> from right to left. Uh, 
the platform began to swirl from right to left. And um, the outer ring of that platform began to swirl in the opposite direction. I noticed that too. But uh, my attention was magnetized on this being. And he was close at this point, but not touching. And uh, I was in uh, invisible solid body form. Um, even though on the way up, my spirit body had disintegrated finer and finer. When I woke up on this in this place, I was solidly invisible. So I began mixing with this being. And uh, to verify that I had seen what I had seen beyond him, as it began to swirl around and around like a whirlpool, I looked again at the figures to make sure I saw them because uh, the vortex was also like a nirvanic pull and my spirit body was disintegrating uh, to coalesce with this being's spirit body who was, who was not really in a literal form. It was just, not a curtain, but uh, just an image. And, and really not, because I tried to look into his face, and I couldn't. Um, so I began to swirl and began to integrate and assimilate with this being. Um, and that was the merging, melding process. I call it merging, uh, because, uh, but there, it's a two-step process, because one is physical and the other is mental mental and spiritual you can physically merge with someone and you can like you can physically merge with a machine but you can spiritually merge with a person so it's a two-fold process and i did that so i could see in the future if anyone talked about merging if they would also mention that second melding process just like people would meld together but you could merge with things or animals but um so mixing with this being, we coalesce fully. I try to I, I I try to and do identify the two beings behind him, and I also try to identify him, and he, whatever, and I was like rendered unconscious. But and then I strove awake again to get a second look, and I did, and then I was put out for good. And that's when I woke up in the water again under the dock. Something had freed me my leg from the muck and I was able to swim up and, and choke it out underneath the dock and then crawl up on the beach. No one even noticed, you know, they're still running around eating hot dogs. So, um, but, uh, yeah, that was, was how it ended. That's amazing because I don't know how much time had transpired during your experience. I mean, you know, supposedly time doesn't exist over there anyways, but it was enough time for you that you weren't, you know, permanently gone under the water. Yeah. Now, like with the with the drowning, the the struggle for life and death that took mm -hmm. at least three to four minutes mm -hmm. because I struggled for a while, became paralyzed, waited for help. Um, the pain stopped. Um, I watched the fading heartbeats. So it took for. It took at least three minutes for me to get into that position and to, even before the pain stopped, it was at least three minutes. Um, 
and then I was out. I believe when you first got out, before you went to the dark void, you said that you went to some darkish place that was kind of a velvety, kind of a velvety. What is the difference between that place and the dark void? Yeah, that's a good question, Jeff. Yeah, the the first velvety womb-like place that I was in, that was right after the pain stopped permanently. Uh, I was shivering in pain. The pain was suddenly cut off and I was enveloped in like a safe cocoon like wound that was warm. There was no pain. I felt free. I wasn't worried. And I knew you just know that okay, everything will be all right. At that point in that place, could you see your body? Like were you out of it and you could say, Oh, there's my body down there stuck in the water. Uh, that dark, place was uh, in darkness yes yeah. so it was darkness yes it was like the uh the dark void but uh this one was comforting okay. safe protected right where the dark void was permanent enclosed fully and uncomfortable and um it's just like being in a death sleep or a, a paralyzed coma where you're conscious it's interesting that you put that because I've had guests that seem like they've described the dark void and then they may have described the dark cocoon area. So, and I've always kind of lumped them into one. I didn't realize that they were two separate places. Yeah, the dark void is actually where the person's body is beginning, is fully paralyzed. And the dark void is really the separation of the spirit body from the physical. Mm-hmm. And people talk about the tunnel. There is no actual real tunnel. The tunnel feeling is when the person's spirit body is leaving the physical. And that whooshing or pulling sensation that's what, that they perceive as the tunnel is really the spirit body coming out. The body's paralyzed. And, and uh, most, most people, six out of ten people, won't even remember in a regular sleep mm-hmm. uh, being paralyzed. But it happens every night. We're just already too deep into a sleep. Uh, to feel that but um the tunnel thing it's it, that now that's a spiritual illusion people think believe it's a tunnel because they feel and see it but in reality it's just your spirit body slowly coming up uh and it stands you upright too you're stood upright mm-hmm. and uh in and out of body and in death or, or you're floating what about this because it seems like i've had at least one guess if not more travel from the dark void to the astral world at least once i thought i've heard someone's in the dark void and then they see a light and then the light comes closer and closer and closer and you know and then they're in the light it's almost like they skipped past the astral world and went way straight to the three lights that you described of it's um well that dark void is that whenever people have that uh, it's actually uh, the transformation from physical to spiritual. That's what's happening. So he did have some type of out of body mm-hmm. uh, if he went through that dark void. Um, it's it's weird because you can wake up someplace or have an out of body and be in a a world where things are floating, or you might see a triangle or a sphere. It's really symbolic, and and, and you interface with the objects. And uh, just like if, if uh, and I, the viewers should try this, if you uh, have one day a week where you don't say anything to anyone, where you're fully nonverbal, 
you'll start hearing and feeling a lot of things inside and outside of you. That's an interesting thing. The guy from I Dream of Genie used to do that, so I tried it. It's a really good kind of like meditative exercise, especially if you do it during a fast. And these these near death, they bring the person back to a more natural state. Like you, you know, when you get back from that, uh, it takes about seven years to reintegrate to to get your head wrapped around it, and to sometimes physically get back together. But uh, you begin to become way more spiritual, way more natural. Um, like I went from being shy, super shy, to uh, being, uh, you know, uh, able to talk with people and around any people. And uh, then from being shy to being a talker. And uh, But it's an interesting thing. It has really transformed the person. So when you went from the dark void to the astral world, was there any traveling or in one instance you were black and the next yeah. millisecond you were in a world? Yeah, the uh, the dark void is the last stage before that out of body. And okay. he was just, this person was just awake enough to see it before. So you're uh, saying that the dark void, you're not even out of your body yet. No, you're still in your body. And when you have the dark void, you're halfway in and halfway out. Hmm. And you're able actually to see uh, the physical room that you're in, as well as your body leaving too. It's and in, that's that uh, duality in division of consciousness. And uh, the near death uh, produces that. And the people usually, from what I've seen, like with me and with others, you come back with that same division of consciousness in that. You can be fully conscious in both worlds at the same time. Um, but uh, here's a good example of the division of consciousness. So the person is on the operating table and the doctor's operating on him. And the anesthesia produces an out of body. And as the doctor's sawing or hammering or whatever they do, <laughs> as the doctor's working on him, the, pa- the patient in the anesthesia state can feel uh, the sawing or can often hear what the doctor's saying and he can feel the doctor working on him while he's in the out-of-body state so he feels it in his physical and he sees it in his astral and there's a dual consciousness that's operating at, at the same time but what the person really wants to do is get those things united as one and when you start talking to your inner mind getting to know it really well it works for you well that's its job to work for you but uh you can literally move heaven on earth when you start to get in contact with that true self. And the conscious mind is the boss and the subconscious is like the gene who has to do what the boss says. Okay, mm-hmm. that makes a lot more sense now that the dark void, you're not out. Then you pop out to the astral world and the action of popping out is for some people going through a tunnel. That's what the they act- kind of- Yes, they're leaving, yes. That's what they kind of experience is the tunnel, but it's really just yes. them leaving their body. Yes, that movement uh, that they feel, which mm-hmm. is the astral moving, they mm-hmm. perceive as a tunnel. And so that's why in in, uh, in any spiritual thing, especially like uh, near death in UFOs, there's a lot of illusions. Mm-hmm. And um, after experience and more paranormal events, experiences because every time you have a paranormal experience 
it leaves residue and you get enhanced psychic abilities, uh, information and knowledge. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, the dark void is really the transformation from physical to spiritual. And there are three types of out of body, Jeff. Uh, it's one is a conscious out of body. We deliberately do it. One is a forced out of body, say like in an uh, alien abduction, mm-hmm. where it's an astral abduction. We'll be talking about that later. And then there's a an uncontrolled. There's an uncontrolled out of body where you uh, you're sick in the hospital and you you know you flatline and you come out the body uncontrolled, a conscious out of body, and then a forced out of body where an other entity outside yourself removes the astral body. And that's an interesting thing too. When people they have an NDE and they say they're in, they describe amazing places, beautiful forests, you know, wherever out in the cosmos they're flying around or whatever. That's just all the astral worlds. Would you say? A lot depends on the color, the intensity of the color, the intensity of the emotions while in that experience. Um, it can sometimes it can be a mixture of both, just like a dream where uh, I've had dreams where I'm living on one block, but the house from another time is at the present location, you know? So it can be mixed up like that. But um, uh, there are a couple of tests, uh, just like uh, what the vision test. You can look at something and see how far you can see. If you're on the ground, you can jump up in there, come down slowly. You're in the spirit realm. Uh, you can look at numbers. Like once I had a dream, I was looking at a movie marquee. As I looked at it, the numbers started to move and change. That's a sign that you're in a spiritual environment, usually the dream world, but it, and out of body too. Um, the vision in an out of body, when you look at it, it's like a negative x-ray, like the negative images when they come out black and white. That's kind of, especially for me, how the image is. You don't see like in regular color, you see like in black and white. Uh, but you get used to it in the daytime. Uh, I've seen in normal color, but at night it's different, kind of like a night vision. It's interesting, all the facets. Now, when you when you go to the area where the three lights are, when you felt the white, the red, and the orange light, is that moving out of the astral into a completely different dimension that you start experiencing the lights? Yeah, that's actually it's actually in the astral body because you're in astral form, mm-hmm. but it's in like. Um, what you would call a dimension of the mind or a plane. Like you could have a, a dimension, like say the astral dimension, and then you can have planes, uh, uh, plane, the various planes within that dimension. And uh, uh, a lot of things have subsets, just like with, with us, uh, God, we have uh, uh, not one eyes, but two eyes, two ears, two consciousness. We have two bodies, spirit and physical. And so, in some of these, uh, in real life, and then in spiritual life too, sometimes an experience will have a subset or a sub-reality to it. Um, just like when the person thinks that they're awake, but they're literally dreaming. Uh, things like that. Uh, the uh, near-death has an interesting sub-reality, like the reality behind what is uh seen what is spiritually seen and taken as real Mm -hmm. um i was glad i was lucky because i had a lot of time to fully reflect while i was developing in like the uh, mystic stages reflect back on what i had seen 
analyze it. I was able to talk to the world authorities and just over the years got a deeper understanding and appreciate, uh, appreciation of it. But it's uh, a topic I could talk about for years. What I found fascinating was that the love that a person feels you described as ecstasy. And now, was that ecstasy in the uh, orange light, or was that even just generally being in the astral world? It was primarily in the uh, in the light stages: orange, white, and um, red. Uh, especially the orange and red. Um, the red might have been the most powerful, but the white lights had the most after effects and elevated me to the highest. Uh, the other two were just refining me or cleansing me, but the white lights elevate the person. I'm just kind of formulating ideas here from other experiencers as, that I've talked to. A lot of times it seems when they get into the astral, it's just that generally they it's just so much love, unconditional love. It's just so amazing for them. But a lot of times they don't mention the orange light. They just kind of saying being there, it's so so much love. Can you comment on that? Yeah, well, the the near-death astral is a slightly different plane than the out-of-body astral, where there's, because in the out-of-body astral, there's less emotion. You're almost Spock-like. Mm-hmm. Uh, where in the near-death out-of-body, a spiritual out-of-body, uh, it's full with emotion. From the surprise, the elation when you wake up and you realize you're not dead, to the mixing with God, to the red heart-thumping rays that literally penetrated you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's full of emotion and feeling, passion even. And uh, the red lights, the white lights were more cerebral. The red lights were so ecstatic and orgasmic that uh, and continuous that uh, anyone with... Uh, a serious thinking would have to question why so much ecstasy. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was something that I fully noticed and made sure to remember how much I was being pulsed with it. And it's the kind of ecstatic feeling that anyone, like they do it, like they do it to you, the lab rats in the, in the, um, the mice, and they tickle a certain uh, uh, G spot. And then the person is in that blissful, state where everything is just like way out and that's in that world that's not a that's not the full state to be in you want to be awake like unemotional fully observing you want to feel things but not react to them and and in that state i'm always so careful about anything that arouses me that also makes me react to it too because when the emotions cover the reality of what you're seeing and uh a lot of times an illusion will just fade away. A lot depends on what you think and how deeply you look into it. Because when you stare at something long enough, even a girl on a date with her boyfriend, especially if she does the breathing exercise while looking at him, uh, after a while you begin, the volume of his words dim down and you begin to see into his essence uh, and comprehend him or her all at once. And... Um, that meditating thing, not so much the posture, but the breathings in and out, because that's the cosmic energy. That super enhances us too. 
That's like a battery, a booster that everyone should do really uh, 24-7, at least four times a day you should do deep breathings. So do you think that most of the experiencers that I speak with, they just are not noticing the different lights? They're just kind of maybe in awe or they don't remember everything when they come back? Yeah, there are seven what I found seven memory issues and I, they're in my book. I could list them now. There's seven memory issues uh, associated with just the near death, but also the UFO abduction too. And these are, these help hold people back. Like uh, some of them are uh, the accuracy of one's spiritual memory. Um, their, re- their method of retrieval, how they recall and this is not without the uh, the hypno stuff. This is just straight conscious. Uh, the uh, memory accuracy, um, the memory retrieval, um, memory suppression. In NDEs and aliens, they suppress our memory, which is really not cool. Uh, because you you should know what has happened to you. Um, and I. Sh- I don't remember all of them, but there are several memory, and I should get it right now because they're really interesting, but there are several memory issues. Also, the lack of experience. Uh, you might have a nurse who had an ND or a doctor who was an atheist or someone who didn't have psychic abilities, a kid or a cancer patient. So the lack of psychic ex- pre-psychic experience before uh, definitely hurt. The different memory issues. I was loose, used to illusions and uh, illusions illusionary veils in dreams and in spiritual experiences. And uh, if you remain stoic in spotlight, you'll be able to see right through them. And it doesn't take long. You just mentioned something here uh, about memory suppression and uh, makes sense with UFOs, but you said it in NDEs as well. So are you saying that there's beings there during people's NDEs that are suppressing people's memories? Yeah, because uh, with the information that uh, we're getting back from experiences, you can tell that there's uh, a lot of uh, memory issues. And like one of them is a lapse of consciousness. With a, there's a, a discontinuation from one scene to the next. You know, you have the life review and then you're on the beach. And that lapse of consciousness is not cool, especially if you want to remember everything that happened, every little bit. Um, the meditation, if you start practicing this every night, every morning, it helps uh, to develop and enhance the continuity of consciousness that allows one to remember every single sequential event in a dream, out of body, or a near-death experience. So that continuity of consciousness is a bridge from consciousness to subconsciousness to superconsciousness especially with uh, experiences. Uh, so the, there's a continuity allows you to have an unbroken stream of sequential memory. And that's super important, just like in a dream. Like most people remember about half. What, like you remember half of your stuff. If you go back and write it down, that brings more out. And when I wrote mine down for the book, it brought more out. It brought out that last stage. But uh, memory suppression and... Um, the memory issues. Con- no, there's no continuity of consciousness, and 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 sometimes uh, an experiencer may uh, have 
see the near death has has certain stages has a uh, sequential patterns has a certain structure and order of beginning middle and end um, instead of uh, a randomly occurring uh, you know a per chance event and so uh, in the book we've listed those in order and just like the uh, the stages in order so uh, there's really nothing that the person can't know with those memory things. That's a shame because uh, you can see how much they've gained from how little that they have remembered. And a lot of people remember a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, cause there's, you, you have some really good guests on your show with some mm-hmm. interesting stories and uh, anyone who goes through that experience has something to say. <laughs> All right. So you mentioned again, uh, and I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to talk about that from yesterday. You know, when there's a, a loss of consciousness or a slip of consciousness during their NDE, and then you're saying, con, you know, memory suppression. Who do you think is doing this to the being or the person? Who is suppressing? Who have those slips of consciousness? There are some things that, uh, like I had mine at 14, so there'd be some of that stuff that would be incomprehensible to me at that age. Mm-hmm. So it might've been reserved for later. Uh, and the same with other people. Um, there may be some information and knowledge that was passed on to the experiencer that will uh, be revealed when the exact time is right. Um, writing it down does help. Somehow writing it down helps the memory more than talking, but talking helps a lot too, mm-hmm. but writing it, really brings it up for some reason. I don't know. Just like when you write a diary or a dream diary. Oh, so that's a good advice for all the experiencers out there is to write down your experience because you may remember some more. Yeah, especially, Jeff, if you go backwards in time, like start, like I would start with the God thing, the mixing, and then go to the white lights. And then that that's a good way too because remember chunks when you go backwards in, in memory. Just like with a dream, if you wake up and have a dream and say, I can't remember all of it, start at the end and go back scene by scene and, and little chunks of memory come back in when you do it backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times in a dream, the last thing you do remember is the end. But uh, it's interesting, that memory thing. I have a, a picture of the life review room if you'd like to see it. A picture of a life review? Yes. Sure. It's from the book. Okay, I was able to draw what I remembered. And um, from the life review room, it's in the book, and uh, here it is. Let's see. So it looks like that's where you're in the white light, and you're about to merge. Well, this this tire-like thing that I was in uh, was what I called the life review room, or where they uh, reviewed oh, yeah. my life. Right, right, right. No, you're right. I'm in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, one band went one way and the inner band went the other way, which produces anti, anti-gravitational properties. So there's some interesting things in the near death. Okay. Interesting indeed. Um, <laughs> it's kind of common for people to tell me that they have to come back or they need to come back because they have stuff they still need to do. I don't think anybody's ever told me that they remember what they need to do. They just need to do something. Why is that? I think a lot of it's the time. 
like um, I knew that I was supposed to do something, but I didn't know what, and I didn't know when. So I just kind of lived life and uh, let it present itself. Um, everything you know, is arranged in a certain way that at the right time, uh, things happen. And if a person had advanced knowledge of what they were supposed to do before time, it might, uh, because of their own will, deviate away from what they were supposed to do fate-wise, mm-hmm. I think. I think a prior knowledge, just like if someone knew when they were going to die and how they were going to die, they might try to take steps to prevent that. Or they might just say, well, hell, I mean, heck with it. I'm just going to, you know, drink myself to death since I'm going to die in four years. But uh, sometimes it's not good to know everything. And it's definitely not good or necessary to know everything about everything. That's a a kind of craziness in itself. All right. So you've mentioned aliens that are also in the astral world. And we started to talk about alien abductions. When you were in the astral, have you ever seen aliens out there? Yes. Yes. I, uh, I once, Jeff, had an astral abduction where I woke up in astral form on a UFO. Um, it ended quickly because there was a duel as I was running. And you kind of like, you don't, as I was running in slow motion out of, trying to escape from whatever was happening. The scene changed where me and my son were running out of a movie theater that uh, someone had rung the fire alarm. And as soon as we burst through the doors to get into the concession stand, uh, the dream woke woke up, but it started as an astral abduction. And that was, in hindsight, placed there as a cover for the astral abduction. Because I was out of there. And then uh, the next scene after I was running away from the aliens in the UFO. I was running with my son out of a movie theater. That was dream. And when we burst through the doors into the concession stand, I woke up. And uh, But the re- reality behind that was the either attempted or astral abduction because I uh, literally just woke up in there. And sometimes you have, that's why uh, with that breathing meditation, uh, uh, you can, with that extra continuity of consciousness, it enhances See, with the breathings, you um, you stay awake when you go to sleep. And you get so used to that after days, after weeks, after months, after years, that um, you see the entire out-of-body process happen. And there is, uh, you can, because I've literally several times seen my body come up out of itself to about six feet standing height, uh, go to the foot of the bed, and then stand up erect. And you're paralyzed the whole time, so you have to let it happen. And the only person who I saw who described it to that T was a 1927 guy, Scottish guy named Sullivan Muldoon. And to me, he's the best out-of-body guy you could ever read. He had it perfect. And that's a guy, if you want to know about out-of-body, study him, because he he draws them and and everything. So he was the only guy who I saw who could match what I knew about out of bodies and to the T and I was back in 27, but he was, he was in out of bodies. He was the one mm-hmm. he talked about the, the continuity of consciousness, but with the breathings, it keeps you awake 
so that you can literally transfer into the dream or into the out-of-body without losing consciousness. And that same uh, continuity helps you later recall more of the experience. Because when someone has a, 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 a paranormal experience, especially an inner one, a spiritual one that's invisible, you definitely want to remember every bit of it that you can. Because that's where a lot of sometimes, sometimes, sometimes more is in the unseen than in what's seen. And that's what I was looking for in my near death too. Now, when you're fully conscious during your dreams, is your body and your spirit still recharging as you mentioned yesterday? Yes. Your body will recharge while you're in astral form. And just being conscious in and out of body and even a lucid dream supercharges you. Um, It would be like, yes, it supercharges you. Hmm. And um, now you may wake up the next day slightly tired, not too tired, but you like, you know, you make it, you'll wake up the next day, but uh, the effects of that cosmic, uh, residue will enhance you greatly. In fact, any paranormal experience gives off uh, the psychic after effects, but the people should, they should notice them, but not get stuck on them or hung up on them. Those are just the initial awakenings to something that's much, much higher than than mere psychic powers. I think it was either the orange or the red light. You said that you got some kind of changes. Maybe you become psychic or something. And then you just mentioned today that in the white light, you have permanent changes. Can you tell us more about what is permanently changing in you and the other changes from the other light? Yeah. In the white light, there's a permanent change in the physiology of the person's actual body and in the physiology of their spirit body. The change in the spirit body happens during the experience and uh, also with the, the physical body too. But also the physical body changes when you get back, but the spiritual body changes then. Um, what was the first part of that? Well, let me ask you that. What physical changes are in the body when they get back that are permanent? You have a increased health. Uh, you have a thing where you're not adverse to doctors. But you feel that you have it within you to heal yourself. Like for me, I broke my neck twice. Mm-hmm. And uh, no surgery. I didn't want any surgery. didn't have any surgery. didn't have any, didn't take any pain pills. I had a brace. And then I just uh, let it re-cement itself. Um, you really stopped getting sick. I used to get bronchitis every, every year back to was a fever and all. Um, I started fasting started doing the vinegar thing and fasting. I don't even get, I haven't been sick really like in 30 years. You uh, don't really age. In fact, the near death actually makes you look younger. I'm going to tease you. So are you saying that you can also smoke cigarettes and it doesn't bother you? Um, <laughs> I'm I just mean, joking. I'm down to about four now. Mm cigarettes a day maybe five and that's not bad because you know i used to smoke a pack a day and uh after high school and stuff in, in college but uh the person is is not really that concerned you want uh, enough help to uh be alive and be with your family for as long as you can and uh uh continue with these events but uh 
the person's not afraid of uh, uh, dying or no one wants bad health, but right. uh, I'm down to four a day. So SIGS is the last device that I have. When do you get the psychic changes? Was that in the orange light? And that's when people become like, they may say they have precognition, they have clairaudience, clairvoyance, and stuff like that. They get that in the orange? Yeah, the uh, orange and red enhance the person. Um, but it's the white lights that gives you the permanent psychic uh, abilities and after effects. It, it actually enhances, super enhances your natural psychic abilities. Hmm. which are just in most people barely conscious barely you know even though there's inklings of it every day but it's the white light that enhances you the most and it is uh it's more cerebral and a purifying you're fully cleansed it's a purifying elevating uh, illuminating nature and uh it purifies your spirit body to its highest essence that's when the physical body is there but that's when you, the spirit body directly interacts with the light and it has the most effects from the white light. Do you think you can quickly teach us how to do the breathing exercises? Yeah. Just, um, yeah. And anything else that can help the average person enhance themselves? Yeah. Yeah. In the late 90s, when I was started this when I was 39, the research, but in the late 90s and the 30s and early 40s, I wanted things that would increase my psychic abilities. I was younger. I wanted to know more stuff. I wanted to do more stuff. And so uh, there are a few things that you can do to increase them. One is the, um, the, the first and most important one really is the breathings because we live by air. And you won't be, just do one breathing and you uh, get comfortable and you want to breathe in through your stomach first. And then through your chest, because if you just do the chest breathings, you're missing about two thirds of uh, more air that you could have got. So fill up the stomach first, then the remaining bit, fill up your chest and do it where it's comfortable. Don't don't break a blood vessel or anything. Mm. But literally that meditate, these meditations open the arteries, the air burns through and opens the arteries after uh, extended time. So do the meditations. If you uh, can't remember your dreams, the meditations will help you because it'll extend your memory deeper into the dream. Um, um, also, if you can't remember your dreams, get some quartz crystal, put them under your pillow or carry them with you. Um, if the crystals become, because I used to have a, a little crown royal bag, I would put crystals in there and uh, silver is another good one to enhance the abilities. So I would wear silver rings and, and bracelets and put, then put crystals on me too. So I'd be walking around downtown Philadelphia in a mystic swoon, fully psychic, but uh, too um, elevated space to be walking around, you know, in a downtown metro city. So what you do then is put on some copper or gold to balance out that silver and crystal. But the crystals, the breathings, if you're the better health you're in, and that's why I do those breathings, because they to counteract any of the SIGs I have. And like I said, I'm down to five, so that's not bad. But to counteract the breathings, the breathings help in, in a remarkable way. The breathings alone can expand your consciousness. Just like I said, uh, with the girl in the day. So I used to work at this medical school and uh, when I worked with the temple police. And I would check all the med students who came in. And sometimes I would 
have a chance to talk to one of them, either early in the morning, late at night, or when, whenever. And um, as I would, and you could, this works with anyone, as I would be talking to them, especially if it was like a boring student or something like that, and I was just kind of going through the motions, I would uh, silently do their breathings while looking at them. And this was like ascertain their essence, their nature, their character. So you look at someone, you do the breathings, especially if they're talking to you. And don't listen to the words. Just do the breathings while you look right into their eyes. Uh, this is literally starting to, this is when you start to contact the veramon. So as you do the breathing silently while you're listening, it takes like less than 60 seconds. The, the words, the volume of their words will diminish. They'll be barely audible. And the person who you're talking to, their intention, character, nature, all that will be revealed to your mind right then. It's really good for girls, like if they don't know a guy and they're checking him out. But it's good for businessmen. Anyone can do it, especially anyone in, in our field of psychics and, and, and uh, spirituality. So you do the breathings. After a while, that kind of focused concentration with the added oxygen, because most people are, are shallow breathers. We get 25% of what we should get. So that extra air power continues just, just like Darth Vader. That's why I did those breathings, because it increased them physically. And as a teen, I saw that the breathings helped me in sports a lot. And uh, I didn't know that it had an effect on me psychically, that it would open the psychic barnyard doors, but it did. That was an after effect of the breathing. But it helped me in, in sports a lot, where I could move way before the person would throw the punch, or I could grab the basketball before. So you know things automatically, and you're much more attuned. So do the breathings while you're looking at this person, in and out, softly, and his words will diminish down. He'll keep, especially if you get a blabbermouth, and and you can practice on them. And you'll begin, to, and while he's talking, you'll begin to see the essence, identity, and nature of this person. Also, while they're talking, you can, in your mind, say to them, uh, why don't we go to McDonald's? And, and let them continue talking. And if, and in time, and you can try it twice, but after a while, they would say, hey, you want to get a bite to eat? Hmm. And that works a lot, too, talking to their inside minds. And I used to do that a lot. But with those things, you have to, um, because you don't want to use those kind of abilities in any kind of bad way. You'll lose them or you'll suffer negatively. Um, anyone who tries to use these kind of super good gifts in a negative way will have it reversed on them. And uh, so always use them in a good, and a protect. you can protect yourself with that. And also, just like uh, you meet someone in the street, I've been down a lot of rough places. And um, you can project your feeling or project your thoughts into someone else and have them received well. So that's a way that, uh, but that practice, that, that merging, and in the, in the quote is, uh, focused concentration during meditation produces a merging into things, and one, and one becomes one with their object of focus. And that's true. Try it, especially with the breathing. You can do it normally, but with the breathing, it really works. And you can see what this person is about, if they're cool or not. And also, you can send them messages in, in from your mind to their mind. They won't even know, uh, but they'll pick up on it. But you have to do it well. So when you're doing your breathing, let's say if you do it 
four times a day, as I believe you said it earlier. You're just kind of breathing and just try to make your mind clear and not think about anything and practice for about five or 10 minutes or something. Yeah. I'm glad you said that, Jeff. Yeah. You want to focus only on the breathing, the sound of the breathing, the feel of it going into your stomach. If you want, you can hold your breath. You take you and take in as much as you can, super slowly. Fill up your stomach till it gets to the, uh, then fill up your chest. And when it's up near the throat and stuff, you can start to slow down. Then if you want, depending on how you feel, you can hold your breath for a few seconds. That's where the burning and the clearing of the arteries happen. You can feel it too, especially if you do the breathings during a fast, which super cleans your body too. Mm-hmm. The breathing and the fasting, it's just like when Jesus went up to the mountains and he did that super work. The fact, that's, those two things will be the fastest way to become super psychic. And other things come in too. Uh, like you, there's a way where you can get, after a while, you'll get to a level where you can get anything you want. Like you'll think of something. You have to really control your thinking because you'll think of something and you don't want you to get it. But after a while, the, you, you get to a level you can get anything you want, but by the time you get to that level, there are few things in this world that you really, really want like that. And then you're only thinking about the higher dimensions, the higher knowledge, the higher development as a person. Because mm-hmm. the development of the physical is just as important as the development of the spiritual. It has to be a super balance. But getting back to the breathing, so yeah, you fill up your stomach really slowly up to your check or nest, neck area. Hold it, or you can slowly let it go if you want. The slower you breathe it in and the slower you let it out, the better. Um, and just concentrate on that feeling. If you have to, close your eyes and be alone if you can, because there's all kinds of distractions. While you're doing that, that will, you'll itch. Something will come into your mind. You'll move, you'll hear noises. So if you can plug up your ears and eyes, that's the best. But the breathings and the meditations, not the posture, the deep breathings, because you're cleaning your body and you're super enhancing its psyche. Mm -hmm. And you'll see the effects in, yeah, 30 days. I may have to have you back for another time because we ran out of time again. I mean, and today's, today's podcast just seemed like it flew by for me. That went quick. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it did. It was amazing. So before we go here, if you want to get Eugene's book, uh, what is the title of your book again, and where can they find it? Yeah, it's called America's Mystic Solves Near-Death Riddle. Mm-hmm. Um, the best place to go is to my website at Eugene Braxton at Wix, W-I-X.com. Mm-hmm. And there's a, it's full of, of Full of detail, Jeff. You'll like it when you get yours. Do you have any other projects that you're working on that you want us to know about? I do. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I did a documentary with Betty Hill in May of 1999. My dad and Barney Hill were close friends uh, in gonna, Philly. I'm going to stop you there. You might have to tell the audience who are the Hills. Oh, <clears throat> yeah. Barney and Betty Hill were an interracial couple who in 1961... With had a UFO sighting, the government got involved, and they were the first official uh, UFO uh, abduction to be verified by the U.S. government. Right. So Barney was from Philadelphia, Betty, New Hampshire. Uh, Dad and him were in the war, 
And then they worked at the Philly post office together. So they were friends before he even met uh, Betty. He met Betty, uh, late 40s, maybe 46. I'm not exactly sure, but he met Betty. Um, they met our parents. Betty met our parents. They were friends. I was adopted in uh, at the age of three. Um, now, in those three years, the adoption people said, I never said a word, not a single word. Mm. So that nonverbal state is a good thing to practice, too. But getting back to the hills, so they had an abduction verified by the United States government. We we would go down there in the winter and every every winter every summer for about three or four years, and stay stay for the weekend. They would tell us the story. We'd drive back talking about it, and they were both really nice in the old school classy type. Um, good manners, good words, you know, good dress. And uh, so in '99, when I was working with Dr. Jacobs, I said, "Let me." They're having a feud about uh, if people could go through solid objects. And uh, I knew that they could. Dr. J's patient said that they could. But Betty Hill said that they couldn't because she was walked out of a UFO. She felt that was the standard and structure for all abductions. And so they publicly argued about that. So I went down there myself to, and I asked if I could make a documentary about her because I was doing films on the side. She said, yes. So I went down, we filmed her, and I and we took her time. It was three hours, Jeff. And I asked her about that because I knew about that stuff. And I knew what Dr. J knew. So I wanted to see what she knew to see who was more right. And it t- turned out that they were both right. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. J was right in that people are taken through solid objects. And Betty Hill was right, too, in that people are walked in a sleepy trance state into a UFO. So they were both right. Um, but Betty Hills, she was, so the documentary is really good. I'm working on that. I mean, I'm going to release that. That's already done. Wow. I held on to it for 20 years. Hmm. And then this book too, which is the, the alien story, as opposed to the near death story. It was one whole book. I split them in two. And now we're going to do that second part. And there is uh, an interesting connection. Yes. All right. Well, we definitely have a good reason to get you back now, so we can talk about the alien mm. story. We can probably even do a fourth a fourth podcast with you, just also about the documentary. Yes, or anything you want to know about dreams or out of bodies too, Jeff. I'm right, expert at that. Right, that's awesome. Twelve thousand. Before we finish up here, do you have one last positive message that you can share with everybody? I do. In fact, I have two. They're only a sentence long. Okay. Um, Dream vision is the primary method by which human beings experience communication with the creator. And I learned this during my near death that upon attainment of the highest spiritual heights, we find that love and the desire to love assures us at last of happiness under the sun. So, yeah. All right. Thank you for that. All right, Eugene, thank you so much again for being my guest. I really appreciate you. I wish you the best and stay cool up there. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah, I like your show a lot. I'll be watching tonight. All right, great. And, um, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you uh, invited me. Thank you very much, and, and you take care. Thanks, Jeff. You too. Bye-bye. Take care. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara Podcast. 
I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.